Good morning, Mosaic Church. If we've never met, my name is Brady, and I'm an imperfect follower of Jesus. And I can guarantee you that on my best day, I am stumbling towards Jesus. And that's it. That's all I got. My best is a stumble. Um, and, and I think there's a, a, a question that arises. Um, if I can grasp and embrace that God would accept even someone like me, that he would invite in someone who is as imperfect as me. The question is, do I just stay like this? Do I need to become perfect? Do I need to just become, you know, less imperfect? And, and whatever the case is, like, how? How? How do I change? How do we grow? I tell you what, I am so thankful that on the morning that Peter decided to write this letter, uh, if you're new, we're in the, a letter that uh, one of Jesus' closest followers wrote to a group of churches in the area of modern-day Turkey. But I'm so thankful that when he got up that morning, he was willing to write the letter. Uh, and if you remember early on, we talked about Peter and how Peter, it was revealed to him that he was going to die soon. So God told him, your time's about up. And, and I don't know about you, like if you were to hear, I've got six months to live. I've got a year to live. How that would shape your brain and what you would begin doing. But I mean, so many of us in our culture, we begin thinking about a bucket list, Right. What are the things that I want to do and accomplish and see and experience before I die? I want to jump out of a plane just before. Because that may speed it up. You never know. But you know, it's like, it's like, what are the things? You know, Peter could have woken up and God said, hey, you got a limited amount of time. You got six months left. What are you going to do? And he could say, I'd really love to see the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know, the hanging gardens of Babylon, uh, that statue that's in the harbor somewhere and, you know. Greece, I don't know where. I don't know, like, like, like there are loads of things Peter could have done. I want to go see some old friends. I want to go see how John's doing, right? Uh, he's about to get boiled alive in oil. So let's, let's go hang out before that happens. I, I, I don't know. But he was willing to partner with God in the things that God was leading him to do rather than a hundred other things that he could have done. And I tell you what, I am so thankful because the way that Peter ends this letter, it's good. It is good. And let me tell you what, I'm one of those people that says, don't, don't, don't set people's expectations too high. Like if you, if I go watch a movie and it was the greatest movie I've ever seen in my, my entire life and you ask him about it, I'll say, oh, it, it was good. I think you might enjoy it. Like always set expectations low because then you'll, you know, above and beyond. I can set these expectations as high as I possibly could. It's better. It's, it's way better. Now, in order to jump in, we, we got to, one last time, look at the gray sandwich. You guys want to see the gray sandwich one last time? Everyone say, oh, can you, 
Can you all wave goodbye to the grace sandwich? Now, here's what the grace sandwich is. Uh, the letter of 2 Peter, it has three chapters. And the way that Peter designed it, obviously guided by God's spirit, is brilliant. It's like a sandwich. It's like a mirror of itself. You've got this incredible bun here. Uh, you've got a bun on the other side. You've got, you know, s- some meat and some veggies in on the middle. And it's all about God's grace. It is a grace sandwich. He begins by saying, may grace be multiplied to you. And he says, how do we respond? In light of the fact that God is multiplying his grace, he's not just done with his grace. Can you, I mean, God blows my mind. You would think that you would get to the end of his grace, don't you? You would think that that, that dying on the cross for our sins would be enough. And he'd be like, okay, grace, check, did that, we good. But it doesn't. Peter says, let it be multiplied to you. And he says, okay, in light of the fact that God is continually multiplying grace to you, how should you respond? How should we respond? What should our lives look like? And then he goes right after and says, oh yeah, and there's some more gifts of grace. Enjoy them. And then on this final button, it's a mirror, right? We've got the gifts of grace. We've got how we're supposed to respond to all of this. And then today we're going to see some more grace multiplied. And right there in the middle, he talks about these false teachers. There were these false teachers who had gotten in, infiltrated the churches, and they were disrupting the community of faith with their teachings. And he talks about how God is going to be just, that God's justice will happen. But even in the midst of that, he talks about how God is gracious even towards the false teachers. He says he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He says, you false teachers, I know you think God is delaying, but that delay is actually patience. And he's being patient with you. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And today we jump into the end of chapter three. So if you have your Bible and you want to look at it, turn to uh, the book of 2 Peter or 2 Peter chapter three. I don't know what page it is on your Bible um, because they're all different, but it is at the end, right? Like you, it's all, it's hard to miss. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, but other than that, you're probably pretty good. So letter of 2 Peter chapter three, starting in verse 14, here's how he starts and he doesn't disappoint. He says this, therefore, Now, when you are studying your Bible, will you show us some Bible study habits? Uh, That would be great. Thank you so much. Uh, This is is somebody's Bible study, you know, that they did um, while they were just kind of underlining the circles of things. We won't won't point out who it is, but, but somebody did this, okay? This word, therefore, this is so, when you are studying your Bible and you see a word like therefore, you need to do something with it. You need to underline it. You need to highlight it. You need to circle it. You need to put a square around it. It matters. This is one of those verbal markers to let you know you need to pay attention because it is bridging some things. Whenever you see therefore, you should ask yourself the question, what is it? What is it therefore? Isn't that great? Love that English word. You know, there are a lot of, a lot of things about English I'm not a big fan of, but Therefore is one of them. What is therefore, therefore? It's saying, hey, in light of all that has come before. So keep in mind all of the stuff that just happened. And because of that, now this, right? Not, not this in isolation or this before that, but because of this, in light of this, now that. He says, therefore, and then he uses a great word. It's become one of my favorite words. What, what does he say? Beloved. Oh, such a good word. He's about to tell us how we're supposed to respond. 
how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live. And before that, he calls us beloved. And this is one of the true, one of the core things about Christianity is our belovedness comes before our obedience. Our belovedness precedes our obedience. That God calls us beloved before we obey. He calls us beloved before we comply. He calls us beloved before we measure up. And this is huge. Peter uses this word three times in these last couple sentences and it, because it's so important, it's so vital. We've got to understand that. And so many of us, we don't, we don't know, we don't sense, we don't feel our belovedness by God. And Peter's gonna help us out. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting, and I love this because it was only a couple sentences earlier that he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait for the coming of Jesus. I want you to wait for the big revealing. And now he says, therefore, because you are. Like, I just know, like, he has such confidence in these people. He has such confidence, such high hopes for them. He believes that as soon as he writes something that they're going to be like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in, Peter. I'm going to obey. I am going to wait. And says, yeah, well, I know I just wrote it a couple sentences earlier. So you obviously are, since you are waiting, you're waiting for the return of Jesus. You're waiting for the big revealing. And we talked about this, like when metal is purified and it goes into a fire and it gets separated, the metal and then the dross, all the extra stuff gets separated out. There's this big revealing that's going to happen when Jesus returns. And it's going to be like when metal is cleansed and purified by fire. He said, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him, by Jesus, without spot or blemish and at peace. I love this. So many of the writers of scripture deal with a really powerful tension in the Bible. Uh, James would say it like this, faith without works is dead. Paul would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Peter says it like this, be diligent to be found. I love this. Anybody played hide and go seek? Yeah. When you hide, are you the one doing the finding? No, you're not. You're doing the, the, the hiding, right? See, Peter here says, be diligent to be found by Jesus, right? Jesus is the one doing the finding. I'm the one doing the losting, right? That, that's, that's my part. I'm the one getting lost. He's the one finding. But Peter says, don't make it hard for Jesus. You know what I mean? Like be diligent to be found, right? Live in such a way that looks like a child of God. He calls you a child, so act like a child. He calls you one of his, so act like one of his. You're a follower of Jesus, so follow Jesus, right? Be diligent to be found by him. And he says, without spot or blemish. Thanks, Peter. Ouch. Goodness. I tell you what, that is not easy. Without spot or blemish. Now he's talking about like a lamb. And when you would sacrifice to God, when you would uh, come into God's presence, he gave you these gifts to give to him so that you could enter into his presence and you would give a lamb without spot or blemish. The best of the best, a spotless, innocent lamb. And Peter says, now you do that. Paul would say in Romans 12, uh, one and two, 
Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, what he's already done, all this incredible stuff, now you present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Earlier, just a couple sentences earlier, Peter said, be holy and be godly. And now he says, be spotless and without blemish. Man, I thought I had it. And then at peace. Oh, that's good. We're all at peace. Like nobody's anxious in here. Nobody's worried in here. We're not flipping out because the economy and the heat wave and all this stuff, we're fine. We're good, right? There's war all over the world. We're at peace. We're fine. Okay, Peter, I'm good. I got that check. Let's move on. And this is so, I love it. It's so good. Be diligent to be found. Hey, Jesus, in the way that I live, without spot and blemish, maybe not quite so much, but still come find me and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This word salvation uh, could mean to preserve. The patience, the waiting as God preserving you. This is the way that Peter would say what Paul said, right? Work out your salvation, God's at work in you. God didn't say, I'm going to leave the planet and just go hang out and let y'all kind of do what you want to do. You're fine. Good luck. I know humans, you know, our hearts are hard and we're bent towards evil and sin and bitterness and, you know, you know, using our power in destructive ways. Good luck. No, no. God, while he is being patient, while he is waiting, he is still actively involved. He is still actively involved, preserving his people. That's what God does. Who's doing the work? Jesus and us. We're being found. We're by God's power, through God's leading, being the most close to spot, without spot and blemish as possible. But it's him doing the work and it's us doing the work. We're both doing the work. We couldn't do it without him. And he doesn't want to do it without us. It's, it's attention. And yet it's attention that is continually presented to us in scripture. And then this is, this is my favorite funny part. Peter then says, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks of them in these matters, there are things in them that are hard to understand. <laughs> Can I get an amen that Paul is hard to understand? Right? When you're in Ephesians and you're in this gigantic run-on sentence with all these 10-letter words back to back to back, you think you're taking an SAT exam and you're like, what is going on, Paul? Like, Paul is one of these people. He says this giant brain, he's just completely in awe of God and Jesus. And as he starts writing, his pen just starts going. He starts writing big words on big words on big words. And he can't stop because it's so big, it's so beautiful, it's so magnificent. And Peter says, yeah, I get it. It's a little hard to understand. Me too. I'm a fisherman. Uh, we use, you know, small, smaller words and, and that's fine, right? Paul uses big words. That's great. Some of us use the big words. That's good. But sometimes it's hard to understand. And I get that. I can relate. But then he says this, and this is beautiful. He says, which the ignorant um, and unstable twist to their own now, now, if you were someone and you were twisting something for your own, what would you be looking for? Your own, gain. your own gain or maybe an A word that's written up there? Your own advantage, yeah, your own advantage or gain, yeah. Typically, when we try and manipulate 
people and manipulate words. We're trying to twist things to our own advantage. And that's what the false teachers think they're doing. They think in the way that they're twisting the scriptures. They think in the way that they're twisting the character of God and the way of Jesus. They think it's to their own advantage, their own gain, that they're going to get wealthy out of it. They're going to get popular out of it. You're going to get, they're going to get powerful out of it. But instead, Peter says, don't you understand that as they twist it, it's to their disadvantage. It's to their own corruption, their own destruction. When you twist the way of God, it does not lead to life. It leads to death. It does not lead to freedom. It leads to slavery. It does not lead to light. It leads to darkness. And Peter says, that's what these people are doing. They're taking these sometimes difficult things that Paul has, to, you know, that he writes, something that's difficult to understand, and they're twisting them, but it's actually to their own destruction. And then he says this, as they do the other, what? Scriptures. This is great. Peter is telling us that Paul's letters are Scripture. Peter, who was one of Jesus's closest followers, is validating the letters that Paul wrote. Peter sees these letters, right? Maybe the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans when Peter was there in Rome. He's reading this letter. He's like, yeah, that is scripture. That is the word of God. Paul was, in Peter's words earlier, carried along by the Holy Spirit as God gave him utterance. He is writing scripture, which is so incredible in many different ways. One of those, it's great confidence for us to say, yeah, what Paul wrote is scripture. But then also, I love this. One of the last things that we know about Peter and his relationship with Paul is it was a little rough. If you read the letter of Galatians, Paul talks about how he openly in front of people rebuked Peter, just rebuked him. It was like, hey, Peter, you are not living like Jesus. What's going on in, in public with other people around? And I could imagine, I could, I mean, I don't know what Peter was like exactly. But when was the last time that someone just publicly rebuked you and you said, thank you. You know, you know, I needed that. You know, you know, you know funny thing, uh, funny thing, I said, I said that and I knew that was not okay. Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate that open rebuke. Could you, could you maybe just do a little more? In fact, I'm going to turn the cheek and get a little, little more in this other ear. Is that how you handle open rebuke? No, I don't even handle private rebuke like that. Come on. But I love that, you know, years have gone by. And at least by this time, Peter sees the beauty of what God has been doing. And he just, he gets, gives a nod to Paul. And I love that. I love the beauty of the community of faith empowered by God's spirit and how we work together. The unity that God forms, it's incredible. And Peter, writing the last bit of stuff he will ever write, makes sure at the end he gives a nod to Paul. It's beautiful. And he says this, you therefore, what? Beloved. We get it again. Make sure before you get into this next stuff, you remember you are beloved already. Before you comply, before you obey, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand. What do we know beforehand? Well, we know that the twisting of scriptures leads to destruction. That's what he just said. 
knowing, knowing that, knowing that what the false teachers are doing as they twist the scriptures, it is leading to their own destruction, their own demise. Since you know that, now you act this way. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I can imagine he's listening, he's writing this and, and he's hearing the Sermon on the Mount in his head. Remember how Jesus closed out the Sermon on the Mount? He said, the person who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a person who builds their house where? Not in Florida. Not in Florida. Builds it in the Appalachians, right? Builds it in the Rockies. Builds it on the rock. But the person who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like someone who puts their house on the sand. And what happens, it's unstable. And when the storm comes, it falls. And Peter says, here's the deal. When you twist the words of Jesus, when you twist the scriptures, the word of God, it's towards your own destruction. You're gonna be carried away. You're gonna lose your own stability. He says, take care that you don't do that because you know that the twisting leads to destruction. So don't do that. And I know since I told you to wait, you're already waiting. You're gonna obey this. Great. Don't be carried away. Don't lose your own stability, but do this. This is what I want you to do. If I could boil it all down, this whole grace sandwich, here's what I want you to do. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah means anointed king. It was this person that throughout the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament was prophesied over and over and over that would come and redeem and restore all things. That's Jesus. So Jesus is our Lord. He is our Savior and he is our anointed promised King. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior and King Jesus. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. Now that's how you end a letter. Next time you're writing a text message, there you go. Do a little emoji and then grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. To him be the glory both now and to eternity. Amen. Send. This is good stuff. And it it's even better. First of all, let's look at this knowledge. Knowledge, when, when, when we talk about knowledge biblically, it's much more than information. It's much more than data, right? It's much more than facts and statistics that go in your brain. It is a whole body knowing. It's a whole body knowing. It's information that gets into here and changes here. Grow in that. But he uses the word grow and I love it and I hate it. Because let me tell you, I don't know what the opposite of a green thumb is, but that's what I have. I don't know if there's like a color that means you're bad at taking care of plants. You're not a good gardener. Uh, you shouldn't be a farmer. Uh, that's me. Whatever that indication is, that's me. And it's not my fault. It's genetic. My mom uh, she cannot keep anything alive. I love you, mom. You're the best. Uh, cannot keep a plant alive to save her life. I mean, she, she can't. I've never seen a plant thrive. And then I married a woman who... 
we, we killed many a plant for years and years, many a plant. In fact, I remember one time she went to Lowe's. She told the person working at Lowe's, hey, I want the plant that you can't kill. That's what I want. And, and they said, okay, here's the one you need. This one's going to be fine. And so she took that one home and within two weeks, it was dead. <laughs> so so you, you hear the word grow and you're kind of like, I don't know if this is good or bad. Who, who's got a green thumb in here? we got some good gardeners. I love it. There are people, uh, and, and maybe you're one of them, that you just instinctively know how to help things grow and thrive. You know how to create a good environment for a plant to thrive. I love that. Well, recently my wife um, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out. So she got an app. And this app like tells her all of the things that she needs to do. And so she went plant wild. Uh, I just want to show you a picture of many of the plants that we have in our house. Uh, there's 30 right there, and, and that's not all of them. Some of them have multiple in here, but I, there were some I didn't even take pictures of. I, I told my wife, uh, I said, here's what I'm going to put on your tombstone. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. <laughs> that, is, that is the creed by which my wife lives her life. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Our house is not very big, and we got all kind of plants on plants on plants on plants. I really believe that single-handedly we are providing the oxygen for our community to thrive. <laughs> like, we should be charging for the oxygen we got going on. Sometimes I think we've got a trail that goes by our house where people run on it. I think, man, you should just run through our back door and out our front door, and you'll be able to run another mile because it's just pure oxygen, right? We are replenishing the rainforest in uh, Orlando, Florida right now. We're good, man. Hey, you know what? Print out an extra sheet of paper tomorrow because we're good. We got you. We got you covered. Now, if you don't know, there's a lot that goes into creating a suitable environment for a plant to grow. It takes a lot, right? There's a certain amount of sunshine that different plants need. Some need more, some need less. There's a certain amount of water that plants need. Some need more, some need less. Sometimes they need it on a different cycle. Sometimes you don't water it, you missed it. And I don't even know what that is, but you do it. Sometimes you got to repot a plant. Sometimes you got to spit, uh, split a plant. Sometimes you got to fertilize the plant with the right kind of fertilizer. And there's a lot that goes into it to create an environment for a plant to grow. Now, Peter tells us this. I want to tell you what is the environment that a Jesus follower is meant to grow in. And he said, the environment is this. Are you ready for it? I believe in my heart of hearts that when Peter was pinning these words, he was thinking about pole vaulting. Don't you think? I think he was thinking about pole vaulting. I don't think it was invented yet. Uh, at the Olympic Games or the Smithian Games, I don't think they had pole vaulting. But I think Peter was thinking about pole vaulting. Now, how many of you are familiar with pole vaulting? I got some pole vault pictures just in case. Now, pole vaulting, this is a thing. When I was in college, my college roommate was a pole vaulter uh, for Baylor. And let me tell you, first of all, you are sprinting towards this place. You got this pole and then it, then it hits into this thing and it stops. And then you're supposed to catapult yourself up and then upside down. You've ever seen pole vaulters. They go upside down and then they go over this bar that, by the way, these are Olympians. The world record is, who knows what the world record is pole vault? Exactly. 20 feet, four inches and three quarters of an inch. 
I, I'm, I can't believe you guys all knew. That was amazing. 20 feet, four inches and three quarters. That is twice the height of a basketball goal. And they are parallel to the ground, 20 feet above it. That's crazy. Who does this? I mean, it, is ama- it blows my mind that someone would be willing to do this. But part of the reason is because what's on the ground is a gigantic map, right? Like that is helpful. And, and when you watch pole vaulters do this, like they'll miss in any number of ways. But I want to show you the mat. Will you show us the mat? This is a pole vaulting mat. And, I, and, and so right there at the edge where you, where you put the pole, you know, down in that little, I don't know what you call it, the, the pole place, um, the mat comes back and around so that if you miss long, it's really long. If you miss to the side, there's room on the side. If you miss the other side, there's room on that side. Even if you don't go forward, even if you're from a minimum, doesn't take you forward past the, the bar, you still land on the pad. This is what Peter had in mind. He says, I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the King. Now, one of the things that is so hard for us as followers of Jesus is this idea of grace and truth. John said Jesus was full of grace and truth. And oftentimes, we think of grace and truth on a spectrum. That over here is grace and over here is truth. And so if I want to grow in truth, I have to become less gracious or graceful. Yeah. And if I want to grow in grace, I have to become less cared about the the truth. Right? And so it's a tough balance because it's like, oh, I just need to be in the middle. I just need to be half grace, half truth. But that's not what John said. John said Jesus was full of grace and truth. And Peter says, I'm going to solve it with pole vaulting. Now, here's the deal. I can imagine Peter thinking back at this point in his life with Jesus and thinking about the environment for discipleship that Jesus created for him and thinking about these instances. Like Peter was in a boat, they're panicked. Jesus is coming to them on the water. They think he's a ghost. And, and you think like, like that's the first failure that happened right there is, is thinking your Lord and Savior is a ghost. But he's walking on the water. Like they've never seen that before. And that wasn't, you know, an event in the Olympics either. Uh, water walking, like it just didn't happen. No one else did that. And so he's walking on the water and then Peter's like, Jesus, if it's you, ask me to come to you and I'll come to you. And I, I've always wondered like, if it wasn't Jesus and the, the person or thing had a sense of humor, wouldn't they ask him to walk on the water too? and let him sink? I don't know. But Peter thought, hey, this is the deal. So he, Jesus says, come out. And so Peter's, Peter's out of the boat. That's a big deal. You're in a storm and you're afraid you're going to sink and you're bold enough to step out on the water. That's huge. I love it. But then a few steps in, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? He lets him sink and it's like, that's why I called you rock. <laughs> No, that's not what, that's not. Jesus grabs him, picks him up, puts him back in the boat, and then he calls him this incredible name. He says, oh, you little faiths. In fact, it's kind of like a pet name that Jesus has for his disciples. 
And what I love about this, this is grace and truth. Is Jesus, when he, when he picks him up and puts him back to the boat, he didn't say, oh, your faith was fine. You, you, I, you, your faith was good. You know, in fact, from now on, we're going to change reality and sinking is good. No. He said, no, no, no. You lost faith. You took your eyes off me. That's the reality. That's the truth. But he didn't say, all right, John, when we get back to shore, send Peter home. No, he grabs him, picks him out of the water, puts him in the boat. See, Jesus says that truth, the bar of truth stays where it is. But he also says the mat of grace is bigger than you can imagine. We're not going to lower the bar. We're going to keep the bar where it is. But man, Jesus had the biggest mat of grace. And I can imagine Peter thinking about the just extravagance, the vastness, the depth of God's grace for him. Obviously, the environment that Jesus created for his disciples was so gracious that Peter was willing to continue to venture out and make mistakes. How many times did, was Peter the first to speak, the first to act? And it was like a coin flip on, you know, how good it was going to be, right? It was good, maybe not. Because there's one time they're up at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus says, hey, I know people have been talking about me. What, what are they saying? Or who, who do they say that I am? And, and one of them's like, oh, John the Baptist. Oh, I think you know some of the other prophets. And he says, well, what about, what about you? And Peter steps up, man. And this is after Peter has already failed a few times. But he's willing to step up and say, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, great. In fact, Peter, I'm going to call you rock, not because you sank, but because of what God is doing and going to do through you, that was revealed to you by the Father. It's incredible. But then right after that, I mean, right after that, Jesus says, now, you use that word Messiah, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Because you think it means a conquering king. So I'm just going to tell you, make, make sure you're clear. When you call me Messiah, this is what you should mean. The path of the Messiah is to die and suffer for the world. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not on my watch. This will never happen. And then Jesus gives him another nickname, which is slightly worse than rock. Anybody know what it is? Satan. Yeah, Satan. Just, you know, just a little, little no big deal. Top 10 things you don't want Jesus to say to you. I don't know what number one is, but I'm guessing get behind me, Satan, is top three, okay? I, I'm just, right, when I see Jesus face to face and he says, get behind me, Satan, I'm going to be disappointed, okay? This is top three worst things Jesus could say to anybody. Get behind me, Satan, the enemy, the accuser, the one who is preventing the cause of God with everything he has, who hates God and hates life. Get behind me, Satan. And at that point, he's like, all right, Peter's out, Thomas, take him home. He's done. No. He just called him Satan. And then right after that, he says, hey, but if anybody wants to follow me in the way that I'm going to go towards death, you're going to have to die too. But man, you're welcome. John, James, Andrew, Bartholomew, 
Peter, you too. He didn't lower the bar. He didn't say, oh, oh, you don't, you don't like the Messiah in that way? All right, we'll, we'll take it down. I didn't really want to suffer and die either. That sounded awful. I felt like I'd probably be sweating drops of blood if that happened. So yeah, let's just, we'll lower it a notch or two. We'll, we'll, we'll do it some other way. Peter, what do you want the Messiah to be like? What do, what do you think? What do you think? What, what do you think I should wear? Maybe like, like a robe, maybe a crown. What kind of horse should I ride as I come in conquering? A white one? Great, we'll, we'll ride a white, white one. You want me to ride a donkey and a colt? I'll do it too. It's like, I mean, no. He didn't say, Peter, let's change reality. Let's alter what is true. Let's change what is life. And let's start calling death life. Let's do that. You know what, Peter? We'll start calling death life. You don't need to forgive people. It's fine. We'll call bitterness life. You know, you don't need to forgive people, whatever, right? You know, in fact, lust is pretty tough. We'll make lust life. Keep on lusting just a little bit though. No, Jesus never lowered the bar ever. He kept it right there at 20 feet, four inches and three quarters. This is reality. This is truth. This is life. This is the way. But when you miss it, and I know you will, the mat is gigantic. It's wide, it's long, and it's deep, and it's cushiony. So that you can feel safe to fail over and over and over as you strive for what is actually life, what is actually truth, what is actually the way. The environment that we are called to grow in is an environment that keeps the truth where the truth is, that we grow in the actual knowledge of who Jesus is and what his way actually is. But it's also one of grace. I think so often for many of us, for ourselves and for others, we keep the bar high and then instead of a gigantic mat, we've got a tiny little pedestal that we feel like we have to land on perfectly, like Mary Lou Retton or Simone Biles, right? It would just got to be perfect, got to stick the landing. And if we don't, there's like shark infested water everywhere. And we just punish ourselves and shame ourselves. And we punish others and shame others because they miss the perfect mark that, that, that only Jesus can hit. And Peter says, no, 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 the environment that you're going to grow in is an environment where you remember your beloved before you obey and an environment of grace and truth. We keep the bar the same height, but man, that mat of grace is bigger than you can imagine. And, and, and I don't know that this is, this is true, but, but for some reason, it, it seems like maybe as Peter is writing these last words, he thinks about Judas. And it chokes him up a little bit. Because if you look at Judas and you look at Peter, there's not a lot of difference. Both of them, the night Jesus is beaten and tortured and crucified, both of them deny him. Both of them betray him. In fact, Peter even gives this big speech about how he's not going to. In fact, Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. But then this person in the courtyard during Jesus' trial who was a servant girl. And, and, and in that day and age, you couldn't get lower than a servant girl, 
Like that was the lowest status you could possibly have. Not a threat at all. Had no power over Peter at all. And yet a servant girl says, um, you, you sound like Jesus. You, you were with him, weren't you? And in that moment, Peter says, no, I don't even know him. I don't know who you're talking about. And he swears that he doesn't know Jesus. And not only did both of them betray Jesus, but both of them regretted it. Peter went out, wept bitterly. Judas tried to give the money back. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I betrayed innocent blood. But there's a major difference, and this is huge. And I wonder if this came to Peter's mind as he was writing these last words. The difference is that Judas... Judas didn't believe that the grace of God was enough for him. Judas saw the mistake that he made and he said, this is the worst thing possible. It is so bad. There's no way that God's grace can cover it. But Peter looked at his mistakes, his many, many mistakes. And somehow by God's kindness, he trusted in the grace of God that no matter how deep his sin was, the grace of God was deeper still. No matter how wide, how big, how awful, God's grace was big enough to cover even his mistake, even his rebellion, even his failure. Judas despaired of the grace of God and Peter trusted the grace of God. And if you look at the people that God's grace covered, it can give you comfort because Moses murdered someone. David committed adultery and then had that person's husband killed. Paul was the most avid opponent against the way of Jesus. He was imprisoning Jesus' followers and voting against them so that they would be put to death. And they all found that God's grace was deeper still. It was wider still. It was bigger still. Enough to cover even their rebellion, their deliberate sin. And if I were to summarize the letter of 2 Peter, I'd say, may grace be multiplied to you. May that be the environment in which you are able to grow and may you then in turn multiply that kind of grace to others. May you keep the truth the truth, but may you have a gigantic mat of grace just like Jesus did. As you walk with others, walk with them like Jesus walked with Peter. Keep the truth the truth, but man, have an environment where it's safe to fail because Jesus ultimately gave his life on the cross to pay for every sin imaginable. No matter how deep your sin is, God's grace is deeper still. And to him be the glory and the dominion both now and to eternity. Amen. Amen. I want us to take a second and respond. Take a minute and, and just... Allow God's spirit to do what he does. We believe that all of Jesus' followers have God's spirit inside of them. 
And the, the Spirit of God leads us to truth and he convicts us of sin. And I don't know what aspect of, of, of what's going on that Peter is writing here is difficult for you. And you may not know what it is for you either. But just ask God's Spirit. Am I struggling with keeping the bar of truth where it needs to be? What is life is life. What is death is death. What is freedom is freedom. What is slavery is slavery. Am I, am I moving the bar down because I feel uncomfortable with how high the bar is? And I, and I, and I, don't, want, I don't want to say hard things to people. Or maybe I just, I kind of like living where the bar is lower. I, it's just easier to just kind of hop over. I don't have to get a pole, be upside down, 20 feet in the air. That's scary. Or maybe it's the mat. Maybe it's the grace. Maybe you got the high bar and you got the tiny little pedestal that you feel like you have to land on perfectly. And if not, shark-infested waters. Or maybe it's Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus. Maybe it's your belovedness. Maybe you don't feel like God looks at you and says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son before you obey or comply. Just take a minute and allow God's spirit to move your heart in whatever way he wants. And then we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves in many different places this morning. God, we ask that you would help us to believe our belovedness, that we are your beloved son, we are your beloved daughters, because you have said it so. Lord, I pray for anyone that's struggling with that, that right now, just as they breathe in, they'll be able to breathe in your delight of them, your acceptance of them, your favor upon them because of the perfect work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. And maybe it's the grace now maybe, maybe in here, there's someone who feels like what they have done is like Judas. It is too bad. It's too unspeakable. It's too horrible to even contemplate. God, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, remind them that your grace is big enough, that it is deeper still. It is wider still. I pray for someone who has trouble with the bar of truth. For one reason or another, I just pray that you would help reveal to them that it is actually the way. It is life. It is freedom. It is light. It is beauty. And the most loving thing in the world is to embrace your way. God, for any of us that are struggling with you as Lord, as our master, or perhaps with you as our savior, we just, maybe we don't know that we need it or maybe we think we're beyond it. Or someone that's struggling with you as king. Spirit, do what only you can do in our hearts and minds. And 
I pray that we'd be able to have an environment of grace and truth that we would grow in. And that that would be such an incredible environment that we would multiply it to others for your glory, your honor, and your praise. To your holy name be all glory and power and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.